I'm so happy that we're here on a Wednesday evening. It's always so great to get together and read and study the Word of God. So tonight, I would like to talk about how we, as passionate followers of Christ, should act as citizens in the United States. So as you know, this past weekend, we celebrated the 4th of July, and also at the end of May, we celebrated Memorial Day. And both of these holidays that we gather together with family and friends and we celebrate our freedoms that we have here in the United States. On Memorial Day, we honored all the brave men and women who died keeping our country free. And on Sunday, the 4th of July, we celebrated the day in 1776 when our nation declared itself to be an independent nation. And that's something for us to celebrate. Because it's, as you know, a day when our nation's forefathers gathered to sign the Declaration of Independence. So it is something that we should be happy about and something that we should be celebrating. Because it's because of these freedoms that we have that we have the right to be here tonight and worship and read and study God's Word. And to us, we should see it as a time for us to reflect on the goodness of God and for us to focus on the greater freedom that we have. And that's our freedom that we have in Christ. So I know many people wonder how we as Christians can be good citizens. Everybody's heard that. You know, be good citizens, good, be good people, moral, upright people. And so I believe that the Bible does instruct us to be good citizens while we're here in this world. And so let's turn to the Word of God and we can see how we as passionate followers of Christ should act as citizens of the United States. If you can, let's stand for the word of God. Everyone must submit to the governing authorities, for all authority comes from God. And those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. For the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but in those who are doing wrong. Would you like to live without fear of the authorities? Do what is right, and they will honor you. The authorities are God's servants, sent for your good. But if you're doing wrong, of course you should be afraid, for they have the power to punish you. They are God's servants, sent for the very purpose of punishing those who do what is wrong. So you must submit to them, not only to avoid punishment, but also to keep a clear conscience. And that's Romans 13, 1 through 5. Heavenly Father, I'm just so thankful for this time that you've given us and the freedom that we have in you, Lord, to come here and worship you and read your word. And I'm just so thankful for everybody that's come in here tonight, Lord, and anybody watching. I'm just so thankful for them. And I just ask that you just bless each and every one of us as we go on through our week and as we study your word tonight. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. So when Paul was writing this in the book of Romans, he was writing this letter to the believers in Rome. 
And these believers were living under a horrible, horrible government. In fact, many years later, this would be the same Roman government that would have Paul killed and martyred for his faith. So there was no democracy in the Roman Empire. And it was especially hard on the Christians as they were trying to find out how to live in this world that they were in and also be followers of Christ. I mean, we think about now, even in 2021, there are so many persecuted Christians that live in fear in other countries of their government because of their faith. Because they have a faith in Jesus Christ, sometimes they have to hide, and sometimes they have to go in secret to worship, and sometimes they can't even have God's word with them. And so I think about how we are here and how we have tablets and phones and Bibles. I mean, we can have access to a Bible anywhere. You know, we're not, de- we're not deterred from coming to church and worshiping him and studying his word. But there's a lot of people that are still being persecuted for their faith. And many of them are being killed because they will not denounce their faith in Christ. And so then we can think about the freedom that we have here to worship and the freedom that we have to come here on a Wednesday night or even log online and worship and study God's word. And so I'm very grateful for that, and we should be grateful for that. When we become followers of Christ, we are a new creation. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. We become a new creation. The old life is gone, and a new life has begun. And also, as followers of Christ, we are a new creation in him, and so we must live in this world as good citizens, honoring the Lord and obeying the laws that are in place to keep us safe. We must keep our hearts and our minds on Christ. And when we identify as the citizens of heaven, as we are, we can truly better be better citizens here on earth. Amen? So keeping this in mind, we can look at Romans 13.1, and we can see that we are, we are Christians should live as good citizens by submitting to human government. And so if you look at that first uh, verse of Romans 13, it says, everyone must submit to governing authorities. It doesn't say some people need to. It doesn't say Christians need to. It says everyone must submit to governing authorities. And then we get the answer why right after that. It's because all authority comes from God. All authority comes from God. And those positions of authority have been placed there by God. And I think that's something that a lot of our politicians and a lot of our people need to remember is that God has given them that position of authority and they ultimately answer to God. So everyone must submit to government authority. Our government is ordained by God whether we think it is or not. 
If you remember in Daniel, it says God sets up kings and he brings them down. We even see this throughout the whole word of God. We see good rulers that are put in place, but we also sadly see bad rulers that are put in place. And the bad rulers are put in place, and they become, some of them actually start out good. If you remember Saul, King Saul, they start out good, but then because of man's sinfulness and pride, they become bad leaders, and they forget that it is God that put them in their place. In the book of Daniel, we see Nebuchadnezzar, and if you remember, Daniel told him that the God of heaven has given you sovereignty, power, strength, and honor. But then Daniel also told Nebuchadnezzar that it was God who put him in power and that God would also soon remove him. We also see Pharaoh. We know how he was with the people of Israel. We even know that during Joseph's time, he was actually elevated up and becoming a second-hand man of Pharaoh. But then after Joseph died, what does it say after that? There came a new Pharaoh, and he did not know David's, or he did not know Joseph's name. He didn't know who Joseph was. So this was a new Pharaoh that rose, and he forgot all about the past, all about Joseph. And in Romans 9:17, God told Pharaoh, I have appointed you for the very purpose of displaying my power in you and to spread my fame throughout the earth. So we see that God does use bad rulers because God also told Pharaoh that he is the one who put him in his power and he will be the one that will take him out. So we see that God raises up kings and he brings them down when they don't do his will. So just as we see in today's world, we are sinful people and we'll have sinful people in positions of authority. But just like these two examples that I gave, and there's many more in the Bible, we see that God will use them for his glory and his plan. We have to remember, we serve a powerful and mighty God who is able to work all things, not just some things. He is able to work all things together for good. Nothing takes our God by surprise. Nothing. And we see this all throughout his word. And so I'm so thankful that tonight we can rest on that promise. We must also remember that God has a purpose and a plan for all things that he does. Even though we don't see it here now, and we don't see it with our finite minds, sometimes we can't grasp it, but we know that God has a purpose and a plan for all the things that he does. And so when it says submit to the governing authorities, the one thing that I do want to say about this is that, yes, we're told to submit to human government and obey the law unless they order us to do something that contradicts God's word or if it's something that's immoral or unethical. At that point, we can look at Acts 4.19 where it says, But Peter and John replied, Do you think God wants us to obey you 
rather than him? That's a good question. And so what was happening here in Acts 4 is that this is when Peter and John were brought before the Sanhedrin, who were the Jewish leaders. And when Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and boldly preached to the religious leaders, they didn't like it. And so because of what Peter was saying, the leaders commanded them to stop preaching about Jesus. And that was their answer. Their answer was that they are going to listen to God and not to the leaders of the day. Because they had the right to preach Jesus. Just like we have the right to preach Jesus. And so there's sometimes when it's unethical or immoral or something that's be, that doesn't align with the word of God, then we can say we must listen to God rather than man. And so I like how the New Testament scholar William Hendrickson put it. He said, does this mean then that the apostle was urging unlimited compliance, a subjection so absolute that even when the command of the magistrate should be in direct conflict with God's revealed will, it must nevertheless be obeyed? Of course not. We should not forget that Paul was a Jew well-versed in the Old Testament as he proves again and again in his epistles. Therefore, he knew about and heartily approved of the courage shown by Daniel and his three friends when they disobeyed royal edicts and ordinances that were manifestly contrary to God's will revealed in his law. So yes, there are times when we as believers of Christ should obey God rather than man. But for the most part in our society today, we're to live under the law and be respectful. In Romans 13, 2, we see that because God has placed and appointed the leaders and we have laws in this land that we must obey. If we resist the authorities that God has appointed, we will incur judgment. Paul's saying that when we submit to the governing authorities, it is an expression of our submission to God. And I know when I say that word submit, there's a lot of people that don't like that word submitting or submit. And so, because many times in our, in our life, it's used negatively. But here, God is using it in the sense that we are to be good citizens and we're to obey the rules and the laws of the land. Submitting here does not mean to be obedient without question, which is what a lot of people think it means. But here in, Paul's, uh, in Romans, Paul's writing, it means to stand under or to line up under. And I remember reading somewhere that it's a voluntary attitude of cooperation or to help carry a burden. I kind of like it that way better than thinking that we're just being obedient just to be obedient no matter what. So we help carry the burden of the government by submitting to it or standing under it. And so if you're going to say that you're a follower of Christ, then you must be a good citizen and obey the rules and the laws of the land and obey the laws of those that God has ordained 
to make the rules and the laws. Because our God is a God of law and order. He doesn't want us to live in chaos. Paul also wrote in 1 Corinthians 14.33, For God is not a God of disorder, but peace. God is not a God of confusion or chaos. God wants everything in our life to be in order. He doesn't want us to live in absolute chaos. And that's why we have laws. We see that so many places in his word. We see it in creation. Everything that God made had order and was good. We see it when God instituted the order for the family, when he took man and woman and he blessed them and he brought them together as one. So we see this order all throughout his word. We also see why Paul is writing this to the Christians in Rome. He wants them to remain respectful and responsive to the governmental leaders of that time. Even though many of them were non-believers, and even though at that time it would not have been easy for these Christians and these followers of Christ, because many of them were harassed, a lot of them were persecuted, and many times they were killed for what they believed in. And so when Paul's saying that to the church in Rome, they might have been thinking, why is he writing this? Why Does he not know what's going on here? But he knew, and God knew. And so we're to be respectful. And so when we look back at Romans chapter 12, we see that Paul urges the followers of Christ to not be conformed to the pattern of this world and to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then Paul told his readers to be humble and treat each other with love and so then Paul then now continues here in chapter 13. So in chapter 12, he goes from loving others and your community to now kind of a cultural thing of how he's, they're supposed to respond to the governmental officials. And so chapter 13, he's showing what living a transformed life here as a citizen would look like. So there is a connection between chapter 12 and chapter 13. And being good citizens means that we are to be the salt and the light in this dark world and to be respectful and obey the laws. Now we may ask, why does God want us to be good law-abiding citizens? Well, we see in verses 3 and 4, it's because God ordains government to hold back evil. For the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right, it says, but in those who are doing wrong. Would you like to live without fear of the authorities? Do what is right, and they will honor you. You see, the authorities are God's servants sent for good. But if you're doing wrong, of course you should be afraid, for they have the power to punish you. They are God's servants sent for this very purpose of punishing those who do what is wrong. Now, some people might laugh at this. Some people might laugh at the thought of the government's purpose to hold back evil, especially in the times that we're living in, but it's true. If you think about it, we have laws that say you cannot just go out and kill someone 
Or you can't just walk into a store or into someone's house and just take whatever you want because those kind of things are against the law. They're against what we should be doing. And so God's design was to have a government led by godly leaders. And sometimes we've seen this. But because of sin, we've also seen many ungodly leaders. So there's no perfect government because we do not live in a perfect world yet. And so this is a way that God restrains evil in a fallen world through our laws, our judicial system, the police, and the military. I mean, if you can, imagine what our world would look like if we did not have laws. Many people like to complain about the government, but in reality, without government, we would have no transportation systems. We would have no police or firefighters to protect us. We would have no military to keep us safe from those who wish to do evil and harm us by attacking our country. We also have to think about other things that the government does for our good, like the labor laws, or the protection of our civil liberties, or the national park services that maintains the thousands of miles of trail for park visitors. The government provides assistance for families who are in really great need of help when they're going through hard times. And the list can go on and on of what good our government has in place. And so we really do need a good government. And we have rules and we have laws that protect us. And God gave us a set of laws, and with these laws, he has set guidelines to enforce these laws. If you look back at the Mosaic Law, this is where sin was defined. It's also where, we, where God gave the penalties for the laws that were broken. Laws are basically meaningless if there's no enforcement involved. I mean, imagine us as parents setting down rules and regulations in our house and then just turning our back and saying, okay, I'm not going to enforce that. You can do, and our kids just have complete chaos and control over our house. We wouldn't like that, would we? We set down rules and regulations for our kids, not only to protect them, but also because we don't want utter chaos in our homes. Because if we, didn't, if we didn't enforce the rules that we make with our children, they wouldn't think twice about breaking the rules all the time that we have for them. And like I said, chaos would ensue in our families. And so that's kind of like what we have with God. You know, he set rules and laws that are in place, and our rules and laws that we have here in the United States are based off of biblical rules and laws. And so they have to be enforced when they're broken. And so we don't see police officers or anything in the Old Testament, but we do see enforcers of God's law in the Old Testament. We see watchmen in the book of Ezekiel. We see judges all throughout the book of Judges. And we also read about armed guards in Nehemiah 4.13. So those were the servants of God that enforced the laws back then in the Old Testament. So in the second part of Romans 13, 4, it says that the government serves, as God's, uh, serves God as an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. And so the time that we live in, 
We have police officers who represent those servants of God or the rulers who enforce the laws. And if you think about it, when we break the law, many times we have to pay a penalty or pay a price for breaking the law. And so when I think about that, it's why this whole defund the police thing confuses me. Because I think that shouldn't we be putting more money into training our police officers? We should put more money into training our firefighters. And we should put more money into training our military, not taking money away from them. And while we're on the subject of enforcers and police officers, no matter what the media tells you, not all police officers are bad. Think about it. There's over 800,000 sworn law enforcement in the U.S. And the majority of them are mothers and fathers, sisters and brothers, sons and daughters who are out there every single day doing their job daily. But sometimes we take a small minority of officers who have misconduct charges, and the, mean, and the mainstream media just loves to focus on that. Um, I'll give you an example. Many, many know I was a police officer, and I was just telling uh, so, uh, earlier, I, it's been four years now that I've been retired, uh, at the end of this month. And earlier on in my career, I worked a higher crime area. And so many times when I was with my partners, if it was a nice summer day or, you know, nice October blowing wind or something, I would stop and we would stop and we'd play basketball with kids. I remember several times going out and jumping out and throwing the football around for a little while. But unfortunately, the media had no interest in that at all. But if I had to make an arrest and they thought I was a little bit too rough, they would probably have cameras all around. So one of the most important jobs of a police officer is to restrain the evil in our society. And whether they know it or not, they are God's servant. And they're sent to keep the peace and to ensure that we're not living in total chaos. Like I said, I retired 20 years ago, or I retired after 20 years of being a police officer four years ago. And there's a misconception, and I want to clear it up right now. I want to say this, that I absolutely hated writing tickets. I don't know any police officer that I know or have known that wakes up in the morning and says, I cannot wait until I go and write some tickets. It's horrible. If you want to hear what people say to you, try writing them a ticket. <laughs> but... It's something that has to be done. It was part of my job. I was sworn to do that. And if someone broke the law, whether it was breaking into a house or whether it was going 10 or 15 miles over the speed limit, I had to act on that. And I had to obey the law just like everybody else had to. And so that would mean writing those dreaded tickets. But think about what our life was like if some people got their wish and we had no police anymore. Imagine the disorder and the chaos that we would have in this world. And so while we're to obey the laws and respect and obey our government, 
we also have to remember that we have dual citizenship. We as followers of Christ are not just part of this world that we live in, but we're also citizens of heaven. And part of being a citizen of heaven is doing the right thing and doing right by others and loving our neighbors as Jesus loved us. Dr. Alex McFarlane, he's a Christian evangelist and an apologist, and he said, government and law enforcement officers is law enforcement from without. But how much better life is when we have self-control from within? And so this is so true. I mean, we have laws against not stealing and not killing and not bearing false witness against each other, which we should have. But I think that we need to start loving each other more. And I think that we need to start going with, have more self-control within us and not get so angry at everybody. There's a lot of anger in this world, and I think that we should, as Jesus taught us, love each other. Because love is fulfilling of the law. If we spent more time focusing on our citizenship in heaven and relating it to our citizenship here on earth and loving others as Christ loved us, what a better world we'd live in, wouldn't we? It would be so much better and we'd be so much more peaceful if we just started showing the love of Christ to everyone that we met. Paul wrote in Philippians 3.20, But we are citizens of heaven, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we're eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. So we're citizens of heaven first. And so this is our true citizenship. It's in heaven So we must live our lives daily being heavenly-minded. But we must be so heavenly-minded that we're also earthly good. We must always remember that we do have an earthly address. But one day, because we are in Christ Jesus, we will have an address in the kingdom of heaven. So because we're also citizens of the kingdom of heaven and we're representing Christ here on earth, We should be model citizens and not compromise in our faith in any way. You got to remember, people are always watching us, especially us Christians. Especially when we say that we're Christians and we go to church. People are always focusing on that and they're watching us. And you know what? A lot of times they're waiting for that gotcha moment. You know, that moment when you're not acting too Christian-y You know, and then they say, aha, I got you. I thought you went to church. Thought you were a Christian. I got you. How many people have ever had that? So we have to remember that, that people are watching us. That doesn't mean we have to be perfect, but it means that we have to be Christ-like in everything that we do. You know, maybe you're having a bad day, or maybe you were stressed out, and you might have said something or did something that wasn't very Christ-like, but that's okay. We're not perfect. And so it's in those moments that I can say, you know what, you're right. I am a Christian, and I'm not perfect. But every single day, I try to be more and more like Christ. And sometimes I do fail, 
But that's why I'm so thankful for God's mercy and his grace. And it's in times like those that I'm very thankful. So as we continue to live in this nation together, we as passionate followers of Christ should continue to be ambassadors of Christ. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us the wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. And we speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. That's 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 20. So we're Christ's ambassadors. I love that saying. And I remember when I first saw this phrase that was used, and it's actually from, uh, the first time I saw it was from a guy, in a, he was an apologist, a Christian apologist. His name is Greg Kokel. Um, a really nice guy. I, I had the pleasure of, thankfully, for those of you, so I retired, but now I, I'm a radio producer for WMUZ Radio. So uh, we have a lot of Christian apologists and a lot of authors that come on and pastors that come on the show. And I get to talk to a lot of them, which is a great thing because some of these people that I get to talk to are people that I read, have always read their books or like Greg Kokel, who I listen to his podcast all the time and, and he runs a thing called Stand to Reason. And so that was the first time I ever heard um, being Christ, ambassadors of Christ. And actually, on, if you go to their website for Stand to Reason, it says, Stand to Reason equips Christian, or Christian ambassadors with knowledge, wisdom, and character. And then just the other day, Pastor Clanton told me about the Assemblies of God, um, Christ's ambassadors. And so I looked it up. So here's a little fun fact about the Assemblies of God. And this is from their website that I read. And it says, one of the most important formative experiences for several generations of Assemblies of God young people was participation in Christ's ambassadors. The Assemblies of God National Youth Organization. Christ's ambassadors had its origin in 1925 when Assemblies of God young people in Oakland, California formed the Pentecostal ambassadors for Christ. So I thought that was kind of a cool little tidbit there. And so going back to the stand of reason with Greg Kokel, when I read their statement there, they say that on their, web, on their website that a Christian ambassador should be equipped not only in knowledge and in wisdom, but also in character. And so when you think about character and somebody's character, and I think about that, and, and our character is so important when we're living in this world as a Christian, you know, our character should be exemplary from others because we have Christ inside of us. We have the Holy Spirit guiding us. And so if you think about that word ambassador, you might think about a respected official acting as a representative for a nation. But ambassadors not only thought in that sense. I've also heard people being referred to this in companies, which is somebody who represents or promotes some type of activity within the company. So in both senses, 
An ambassador is pretty important. And it's important that the ambassador aligns with the company or the high-ranking official that he or she is placed in that position. And so Paul in his letter to the Corinthians shows that his calling as to an ambassador is to reflect the official position of the one who gave him that authority, God. And so with Paul thinking of himself as being an ambassador, he then urges all believers in Christ to be ambassadors here on earth while we wait for our eternal heavenly home. And so we as followers of Christ have been approved by God to be entrusted with the good news. That's what it says in 1 Thessalonians 2.4. The gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what the good news is. The good news is the gospel. And we've been entrusted with that good news. So we have to remember that since we've been entrusted, that once we've trusted Christ as our Savior, we have the responsibility to be good model citizens in this world while we tell others about Jesus and as we represent our heavenly kingdom. And so how can we do this? Well, we can be honest. We can be dependable. We can be humble. We need to be fair to others. We need to give grace to others. We need to just be kind. We need to have good manners. We need to treat others as Christ would treat others. Another thing that we can do is we can be more understanding and more sympathetic to others. I think the list goes on and on and on about what we can do. And so we, as ambassadors of Christ, are empowered by the Holy Spirit to take, to take God's message of redemption that is found in Christ, that has freed us from the guilt and shame of our sins so that we can have peace with God. Jesus paid the price for us, and our redemption is only made by, possible by his blood, his death on the cross. In Colossians 1, 13 and 14, it says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So us being a Christian citizen in this world not only affects how we respond to our local government officials who God put into place, but it also impacts how we treat others. We build relationships with the people that we work with, those that we go to school with, those that are our neighbors. Everyone that we come in contact with, we build these relationships with. And when we are doing this in our workplace, in our schools, the people that we come in contact with, they should see a difference in us because we're transformed and we're in Christ. They should be able to see Christ in us and through us. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I, live, and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I love that verse. 
Notice here that Paul's not saying that he lives in a Christ-like way. He says that Christ lives in him. And so when Christ lives in us, we should allow him not only to live in us, but we should also let Christ live through us so that others can see Christ in us. And I love how another pastor that I was listening to put it. He said that Paul realized that on the cross, a great exchange occurred. Try to be right before God by the law of life, and it was crucified on the cross. Then Jesus gave Paul his life. Christ came to live in him. So Paul's life wasn't his own anymore. It belonged to Jesus Christ. Paul didn't own his life anymore. That life died. He simply managed the new life Jesus gave him. So since our old life died on the cross with Christ, we now have a new life. And now that we are alive in Jesus Christ, it should be seen in all that we do. And in every interaction, not only with the government officials we're told to submit to, but also in every single encounter that we have with anybody. So another point that we have from being ambassadors of Christ is that we have to be in contact with everybody. Everybody that we come in contact with, we need to show Christ's love. And so there's a couple things that I put on here uh, for our growth work. And so one of the things I want to say is that we need to start praying for our leaders. We need to pray daily for all of our leaders, no matter if it's the president, the vice president, our senators, our Congress, our local officials. We need to be praying for our leaders. And in 1 Timothy 2, 1 and 2, it says, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them. Intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. So it's so important for us to pray for our leaders, no matter if they align with you politically or not. It doesn't matter what their political position is because here it says that we're to give thanks and we're to pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives. And so Paul's urging us, and in 1 Timothy, uh, he's urging them to pray for all people, pray for everybody. Because prayer is not political. Prayer is powerful. And prayer is powerful because it comes from our almighty God and our powerful God who can change lives and turn people's hearts. And so we should daily be praying for our president and our vice president and our senators and our representatives and, as I said, our local leaders. We have to pray that they turn their hearts to God. And we pray that they will seek the Lord and that God will grant them wisdom and humility and love and patience 
for the people that they, in the communities that they serve. And that they realize that it is God, as Romans 13 says, who has put them where they are. And it is also God that can take that power away from them. And so there's another great podcast that I listen to. And it's called Exploring the Word. And it's a part of uh, American Family Radio, which is a really good broadcast. And so if you listen to Exploring the Word, which I like to listen to, they, that Dr. Alex McFarland is one of the hosts, and then there's another pastor that's on there with him. And they basically go verse by verse through the Bible. And then at the end, they take calls for like questions and stuff about the Bible. But the one thing that I love about this podcast, Exploring the Word, is that during this podcast and other times, they have a moment of prayer for the leaders of our country. And so this little, it's like a minute segment, but it's so powerful for being a minute. And it's called Pause to Pray. So if you ever want to look it up, just it's pretty simple. It's Pause to Pray, and they have their own website. And it's always got the audio on that. And so basically, they take a position of authority, and then they call out the person's name, and they tell you where they're at, what they do for our country, you know, where, what leader they are. And they say that person's name and what their role is, and they pray for that person. It's nonpartisan. They don't, it's not a political thing. They don't just pray for Democrats, or they don't just pray for independents, or they don't just pray for Republicans. They pray for our leaders. It's not a political thing, which is great. And they honor God, and that's what they want. They want these political leaders, they, they pray that they honor God while they're in that position of authority. And so, like I said, I think that's, that's great. And if you want to look it up, I, I, I urge you to. It's just a minute, um, and I love it. And so they do this, and that's, that's what we need to do daily. We, I, look at that. You can take a minute, and just if somebody comes to your mind, just pray for that person or pray for that leader. If you're watching TV and you see a representative or if you see somebody in the government or if you're watching something local and you see a local government official, put that person on your mind and put that person on your prayer list and pray for them. Because Jesus loves all people, including politicians. How about that? Jesus even loves politicians, <laughs> no matter what political party that they are affiliated with. And so he wants no one to perish. He wants every single person to come to repentance in him. And so I think that's very important for us to be praying for our leaders. The second thing is that we have to continue to pray for our first responders. You know, thank God for our first responders and for the men and women who risk their lives daily for us and others. And thank them for their sacrifice and their service to our communities. And I can tell you firsthand that being a police officer or a firefighter or an EMT or in the military, that takes a lot of time away from their family. I mean, I remember I have missed so many birthdays. I've missed weddings. I've missed anniversaries. I've missed holidays and other events because I had to work. And so we need to pray, pray for them, pray for our first responders who are out there running into the fires and running into the uh, gunfire and, and helping save lives, doing CPR. You know, pray for them. You know, pray for their training and that the Lord watches over them as they train and they prepare for duty. Psalm 121.8 says, The Lord keeps watch over you as you come 
and go, both now and forever. And I used to always read that sometimes when I was in my police car or, or I was always thinking about that, that psalm. You know, that the Lord keeps watch over you as you come and as you go. It's a great promise that we have. And pray also that they're wise in their decisions and that they seek the Lord in all that they do during the course of their duty. Because many times, if you think about it, they have to make split decisions, like a split-second decision, and sometimes they come across very complex situations that could impact them and the rest of their lives. So pray for that wisdom and pray for, that, um, pray for them to be able to make their decisions. Then also pray for their family and their loved ones. Spouses and children of first responders know the danger all too well when their loved one goes to work. Many times they think about whether they will come home after their shift or not. So pray that their fears and that the Lord eases their fears and he eases their mind and that he guards their hearts from this fear that they might have of their loved one going to work. Pray for the emotional needs of our first responders. Regardless how you feel about the police, I can tell you that firsthand of the emotional toll that it can take on you. For some of the things that I've personally had to deal with or some of the things that I have seen. It does take a toll. And so we have to pray for, for the minds and to settle things down. Um, because a lot, <clears throat> sorry, a lot of times... Police officers and firefighters and EMTs, they don't like to burden other people with their problems. And so sometimes they keep it inside of them. So just pray for their emotional and, and that they have somebody that can walk alongside them and talk to them. Um, you know, and I can tell you that it's meant a lot to me when someone comes up to me and says that they're praying for me. I've had that a lot of times when I was on, on a call or something and, and, you know, maybe it was something, you know, that wasn't too pretty, and somebody just would come up and say, you know, I'm, I'll keep you in my prayers or I'm praying for you. Um, it meant a lot to me. So if you do see a police officer or a firefighter or some type of first responder, let them know that you're praying for them because a lot of times, you know, it'll, it'll mean the world to them. Um, I'm part of an organization um, called Humanizing the Badge, which it basically is what it says, humanizing the badge, making humans out of that we're humans, okay? And one of the things that, that we have is a little card, and it says, hashtag, dear officer, we need you. And so on our Facebook page, we get so many pictures of police officers from all over the place. And they're saying, I just came to my car, and I just saw this sitting on my dashboard, or I saw it sitting on my thing. It said, dear officer, we need you. And it meant the world to these people. And they just, they love it. And so do little things like that. And so many times we as first responders, like I said, keep stuff bottled up inside. So pray that the first responders have people in their lives that they can talk to, that they don't grow weary of the job that they're doing. In Galatians 6, 9, it says, so let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. And so the third thing that I want to say is that not only praying for our leaders and our first responders, but we also need to pray for all of our interactions with others. 
Pray that daily that God opens up doors and gives you an opportunity to share the gospel with someone, whether it be a neighbor, a friend, or a family member. Praying for those is so important as we live our lives and as Christian citizens in this world. James wrote in James 5.16, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. There's power in prayer, my friends. And so James is telling us that when we pray for others, it brings healing both physically and spiritually, and it can free us from the heavy burdens that we bear as we go through this life. Isn't it wonderful when you have a prayer partner or if you have somebody that you can just call and and ask to pray for you or pray with you? I think it's a wonderful thing to have that in life. And so we see that Jesus modeled prayer for us perfectly. I mean, we see Jesus praying for others, praying for their faith. He prayed against temptation that we will face. He prayed for the believer's unity, which is a prayer that we really need today in the body of Christ. Unity. We also see Paul modeling prayer as he prayed for the churches when he wrote to them. He prayed for the salvation of the lost. In Romans 10:1, he says, Dear brothers and sisters, the longing of my heart and my prayers to God is for the people of Israel to be saved. Isn't that a great prayer? Isn't that a great prayer? How about we say that the people of our community be saved? I want that. I want the people of our community. I want my neighbors. I want my family. I want my friends to be saved. And that's the longing of my heart. And that should be the longing of our heart. And so Paul prayed that the believers would be strengthened by the Holy Spirit and that they would be filled with the fullness of God. And so these are all the prayers that we should be praying for others. You know, pray that any interaction that we have with others, whether it be with a government official, a first responder, a neighbor, a family member, a friend, it doesn't matter who it is, pray that any interaction that we have we can tell them about the love of Jesus and that we can love one another as Jesus taught in John 13, 34 when he says, so now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. So as we continue on this journey and being followers of Christ who also happen to live in the United States, Let's continue to be kind to each other and show the love of Jesus to everyone that we meet and not complain about the freedoms that we may think that we're losing, but embrace the freedom that we do have and embrace the freedom that we have in Christ because that's the true freedom that we have. And that's the freedom that we have in Christ that changes us from the inside out. And so we're called to transform this world by living in it, by being someone who fears God, trusts in him and his wisdom, and respecting the earthly leaders that he has put in place, as well as caring and loving your neighbor, engaging in the community that you live in by seeking first the kingdom of God and being a good citizen here on earth. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this time that we have of Bible study. And I thank you for the freedom that we do have in this country 
to be able to gather here and read and study your word. I thank you also for the freedom that we have in Christ because it's that freedom that we have in Christ that truly sets us free. I pray for the men and women who serve our country in leadership roles. I also pray for their families. I pray that they will seek you in all the things that they do and that they will seek your wisdom and your discernment in all that they do. And Lord, I pray that they will govern our, govern our land wisely and that they acknowledge that it is you that who has given them the authority and that it is you who ordained and has given them the authority to protect and guide us. I pray, Lord, for the leaders of our local communities, that they will meet the needs of our communities and their communities. I pray, Heavenly Father, for our first responders and their families. I pray that you will keep them alert and safe and that you will strengthen them as they protect our communities. And I pray for their families, Lord, as they send their loved ones off daily to do a job that most people would not want to do. I pray that you will give them peace knowing that their loved one is doing your will. And I pray for all of those here tonight and anybody watching online, Lord, I pray that you will give them a hunger to be in your word daily and that we will be united as the body of Christ. I also pray, Lord, for our services this weekend, that everyone who comes to our church or watches online, that they will come with an open heart to hear your word. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. And don't forget, we have a new email. So if you want to email us with any questions, or if you've given your heart to Christ or anything like that, you can email us at info at woodland church at woodland.church so that's info at woodland.church thank you and have a good night